0: out loud podcast this week we are back at it with the second half of sabriel by garth nix i'm your host drew mccaffrey and noted sabriel fan lauren mccaffrey is with me again
1: cheers guys
0: (laughs) before we head into the episode itself a quick reminder that we're on patreon support for the show there helps keep the lights on and gives you access to all kinds of fun bonus content such as exclusive episodes exclusive original fiction and more but we pick back up with Sabriel, Touchstone, and Mogget, as they arrive at the abandoned fishing village of Nesto. They quickly realize that though the town itself is empty, there are still survivors. They escape to a small island out in the bay. The trio gets their attention and secures passage to the island. There, they discover that one of the dead has managed to infiltrate the small refugee settlement. Sabriel flushes out the creature and banishes it, but the Mortican arrives in Nesto, and as Dark falls, whips its servants into action. They work to extend the dike out to the island, so Sabriel convinces the remaining townsfolk to give her a boat. She flees to the sea with Touchstone and Mogget, hoping to draw off the Mordekin as they continue to Belisair. As they finally approach the capital, the waters temporarily lift the restrictions on Mogget and Touchstone, who tell Sabriel about the great charters, the Abhorson, and the royal family. They make landfall on the city and quickly make their plans. The next day, they head toward the palace and then down into the great reservoir beneath, there, they find the broken charter stones as well as Abhorsen's body, and Sabriel creates a diamond of protection before diving into death to find her father. While she's busy, however, Caragor's minions appear, including the Mordicant, and finally Caragor himself. Just as Caragor is about to overwhelm them, Abhorsen and Sabriel return to life. Sabriel and Touchstone flee, leaving behind Abhorsen with his sword and the final bell, a star ale, as well as a freshly uncolored mogget. Sabriel and Touchstone gain the surface and barely escape some scavengers before meeting the Clare. The Clare gives Sabriel a vision of Caragor's body, entombed in Ancelstiere only a mile away from Wyverley College. Sabriel takes Touchstone aboard a new paper wing, and they fly straight to the main crossing at the Wall. There, Colonel Horace greets them and sounds the alarm. He brings all of his charter mages, as well as a contingent of regular soldiers to accompany Sabriel to Caragor's cairn. Even with their combined strength, however, they can't open the sarcophagus. As a last-ditch plan, Sabriel leads them to Wyverly College, where she hopes to recruit the older girls with charter experience. The soldiers dig in and begin fighting off waves of Caragor's dead minions as Sabriel leads the now larger circle in opening the sarcophagus. They manage it, but before they can complete the ritual and burn Caragor's body, the wall explodes in, and Mogget arrives once again. He gives Sabriel the sword and final bell, but that task complete moves to finally kill her. Just at that moment, Caragor arrives. He and Mogget have a brief showdown before Caragor consumes Mogget, and he turns on Sabriel. She uses the silver ring to slip a new collar onto Caragor, but before it can fully bind him, he uses Abhorsen's sword to run Sabriel through. At last, the collar does its thing. Caragor and Mogget are split into two separate cats, one black, one white, each with a collar, and Sabriel dies on her own sword for just a brief moment. Finding herself in death, flowing down the waters to oblivion, she is stopped by the spirits of all the prior Abhorsen. They demand she resist the pull of death until she can continue the bloodline, and she awakens to find Touchstone crying over her.
1: Oh, man. Yeah.
0: So, uh, right away, um, to jump into style, I did read the end of this book whereas for the first half i listened to all of that um for for the second half i listened to most of it up through the reservoir and then uh to where they they were getting the paper wing and flying back down to the wall i went back and reread the whole reservoir sequence through the end of the book just because i i really felt like i needed to read the physical words in order to talk a little more about the style, um, talk about his prose. And what struck me the most with it is that it's just very clear, very comfortable and easy to read. Um, He has a, a nice touch to his language and his descriptions, especially of landscapes, but he really doesn't go out of his way to like overdo it at all, to really pull in the huge words. And there's just a, an impressive ease to his prose. Like this is a guy who can, who can write, he knows what he's doing. He's comfortable with it. And that makes the reading experience really comfortable. Uh, and, and I think that ties into how easy it is to be inside the heads of, of these characters to be in touchstone's head to be in Sabriel's head and uh, yeah mogget um, <laughs> we don't get a lot of mogget points of view but it's fun to be in his head he's very sarcastic
1: <laughs> as as you would be if you were a cat
0: mhm mhm um we don't get much cat mogget in in this half okay. of it a little bit at the in kind of that middle section as they're traveling to Belisaire. Um, but from the Reservoir onward, not much. Um, but the other big style thing that I wanted to point out here that I, I found interesting and I certainly didn't remember from the first time I read the book was how little falling action there is in the book. There's basically no denouement. We have the epilogue that's about a page long yeah. of Sabriel and death, but even that feels like it's part of the climax of the book and then she wakes up and you would think okay now is when you have an epilogue maybe a day or two or a week or a month later and we see her settling into her new role as abhorsen and maybe touchstones there and they're continuing their romance we don't get any of that
1: yeah i had forgotten that we end like this i i always find myself you know with the book noticing okay well, how are we going to do this? We only have these many, yeah. this many pages left. Oh shoot! Now we're down even further, and it's still like we're still not to the conclusion. Oh my gosh! Where are we gonna? Where are we gonna end?
0: Hmm. Yeah. So I I didn't feel like the actual climactic sequence was rushed or anything. In no. fact, I thought it was really well paced. Uh, I noted while i was reading through it how nix goes out of his way to give us a lot of the preparatory dialogue with the soldiers there's a lot of the colonel yelling orders around there's a lot of discussion and phone calls scouting and and developing intelligence on the changing situation where uh, I think a lot of authors would just kind of skip through that, or if they if they had it, they would just say, "Oh, and and he made he placed a call and and did that." It wouldn't give us the the actual dialogue, and so that did a really good job for me of building the tension through and setting up the final confrontation at Waverly College, and I liked the pace of it. I I thought it was really really well done.
1: So I always remember the soldiers very fondly mm-hmm. um, in between reads. And I definitely appreciated that again here where you're right. He really did increase the tension because we, we start to hear from either the soldiers or like the bells failing themselves in the town Yeah, that, that they're advancing and they're getting closer and they're getting closer, even though we can't see them approaching
0: right there like the telephone calls where all right we lost the signal yep to the wall to the perimeter base now we can't get through to the next town south and then yeah and then the bells stop and you're like oh boy you know this and there's this inexorable rolling fog that's picking up speed and then when we get to the the moment of action it was surprisingly intense, the visual of a wall of the dead smashing through the gate and pouring onto the grounds of the college. Honestly, it reminded me of the way uh, Game of Thrones did the Battle of Winterfell in the final season, where you know, you're you're looking out into darkness, into the night, and, mm. and it's just silence and there's nothing and nothing, and then out of the black is this screaming tide of the dead that just slams into their lines. Uh, And, and for a book that, you know, we, we talk about how this is kind of YA before YA was a thing. It was like a really intense graphic moment. Yeah. The descriptions of the, the body, the dead bodies being shot and blown apart.
1: Mm.
0: And yeah.
1: So, I like that. And that's another reason why I really like this book. Mm -hmm. Like I was the kid looking for horror, even when, you know, at the beginning horror meant R.L. Stein, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but, but also your, your description of that visual kind of brought me back to, um, I was told (laughs) that the Celts fought naked and screaming all the way. And it was so
0: woad Raiders. Yeah.
1: It was so uh, not not just intimidating, but like jarring.
0: Yeah, they they paint their bodies blue and run screaming into battle like berserkers. Yeah. That
1: like multiple uh, conquerors just left yeah. because they didn't want to deal with the crazies. <laughs> but uh, another point, sorry, going back to uh, as as we find out they're progressing. They bring up the point of the culture of the peoples near the town. Mm -hmm. And because of that, it gives your imagination a lot of fuel for like, what are they doing? They have grown up knowing that this is a risk. And they know they've been taught like rhymes on what Mm -hmm. to do Mm -hmm. if and when this happens. And they probably didn't believe it. You know, but like yeah, now, I can that. now I can picture it in my head mm-hmm. because we have this brief little, you know, description with the soldiers of what they know, what they don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the kind of the final hundred pages or so of this book, really, the final one hundred thirty or so, everything from the reservoir onward is. Is just kind of bang, 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 yeah, really intense. The visuals in in the Reservoir, the the drumming dead, and oh,
1: that is yeah,
0: it's awesomely done. I I remember now why I enjoyed the hell out of this book the first time I read
1: it. That's a really strong visual. Uh, the Reservoir, the stones, and the dead, like coming in and drumming and creating a procession mm-hmm. for Caragor to come down mm-hmm. Ugh. Mm. and and on top of that like we know that our main characters are so sick physically sick from the broken stones
0: they yes. can't
1: think straight they feel yeah. awful and the closer they are you know the worse it is yep oof yeah. yeah, that's a great visual. He does it he does a good job.
0: So, uh moving on to characters, um I want to start with Gabriel. Okay. And there's one kind of overriding thing and it's something I've I hadn't really put into words or or specifically addressed for myself as a reader, but this book made me finally calcify the idea that i love the trope of a young inexperienced person leaving home growing up becoming a hero becoming competent and then coming home again and having people who used to know them see them now and respecting them there are lots of moments when she gets back to the college where you know, the the teachers look at her and realize, oh, you're an, you're an Abhorsen now.
1: You are not our student that we yeah. saw. What, I, I got to do the math on how long ago that was, but it wasn't long.
0: No, you know, it was just a, like a couple of weeks. Um,
1: well, there's six days out on the, out sailing at night.
0: Yeah. Uh, but so, I love that kind of stuff. It's, it, it it's so satisfying to read. And it helped in basically any book I've seen it done in, but especially in this one where I had been talking last episode about how I thought she was a little whiny. Um, (laughs) Here, she really just settles into her role and takes charge. And she doesn't, it's like after she loses her father, she loses her excuse to whine. She doesn't have an option anymore. She doesn't have a, Like, oh, somebody else can take care of this. I need to complain about it until they do. It's, no, this is my job now.
1: I will say, she doesn't do a whole lot of complaining.
0: She doesn't. um, But there's a little bit. uh, Like, some of... when, When she's coming out of death with her father, there are a couple of points where I'm like, okay, stop talking. You're in the middle of something important here. And she's, like, needling him on random details, and he's like, yeah, it's this, but whatever, we're, like, we got more important things here. Um,
1: yeah, but I, I think that's just her dealing with... No, I'm
0: not saying it's, it's like, out of character or, or no, you know.
1: No, I just think, like, grief does weird things and she's coming to terms with losing him.
0: This is before she loses him.
1: I know, but she still knows mm-hmm. that he's been in death too long. She knows that she's known that for a while.
0: But like, I'm I'm not saying there isn't an explanation for this. I'm okay, saying yeah. that it annoyed me. <laughs> but after she loses her father, she loses that outlet of being, uh, um, what's the term I'm looking for? Like
1: being the child and not the adult.
0: And, mm-hmm. uh, no, um, I I don't know. I I can't think of the word it's on the tip of my tongue but she she loses her ability to complain about not having things told to her or given to her or done for her now she knows the responsibilities on my shoulders let's go let's do the job and I really really like how she approaches things once they get down to the wall
1: I I'm sad for her Sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, she not, she deals with a lot of loss in this. Not and...
1: the loss part. It's it's the she she now has for the rest of her life a huge responsibility on her shoulders, and she can't just be Sabriel anymore.
0: Right. She's ab-horsen. Yeah.
1: and I'm sad for her for that.
0: I mean, but that's part of growing up. You can't be a child anymore.
1: Yeah, but we're, you know, we, we don't live in that kind of a...
0: Sure, I, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not trying to compare, but but that's That's what this kind of story is, though. This is a coming-of-age story. This is, you have to become an adult now.
1: Yeah, and, I, and I'm and i proud of her. I always have been. Mm-hmm.
0: And then Touchstone, honestly, I, I didn't have much changed impression of touchstone in the second half here he felt a little more two-dimensional than he did in the first half personally because like half of this he's either like unconscious or out of his mind
1: yeah yeah he he doesn't really have a whole lot of ability to help here other than you know, just, like, minor things, I guess. I mean, they're still important. They're really important. Like, Sabriel yeah. doesn't make it without him. I
0: mean, yeah, definitely not.
1: But, like, he can't face down Caragor, and he doesn't have... He,
0: he just didn't have much more character development in the second half of the book.
1: Yeah, yeah. Most
0: of, most of the development there was for him was right in the middle.
1: Well... Between
0: they... when they uh, get him resurrected and when they go to the reservoir
1: i'm going to push back on that a little bit because they do have their moment where they
0: Uh, when he professes his love yeah Mm -hmm.
1: yeah you don't profess your love to somebody that you think you are a i don't know a worm yeah yeah
0: that's true that the it started off with him being like i'm all i'm worth is being your servant tell me what to do and she's like no 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 you need to be your own person and this is him finally saying like yes i i will take charge of my life and make my own choices okay that's fair that's a good good call out um and then we get mogget (laughs) so i do find it interesting that uh when they leave the reservoir Mogget is uncollared, but still in cat form,
1: and on Abhorson's shoulder. Right.
0: Uh, the only like thing, fighting with him. Mm, the only thing I could think of there is that there is like a greater understanding and working relationship, and he somehow has Mogget's trust in a way that Sabriel just doesn't because she's too new. Uh But I, I don't know.
1: Okay. Let's let's think back though like it's not just him it's the last abhorsen to face down carragor too he was unleashed and on his shoulder when they faced down carragor in the reservoir 200 years ago
0: i don't remember him being specifically called out as un- uncolored. oh yes yes he
1: is called out okay um yes he is a column of white and when when Touchstone describes that, Sabriel automatically is like, oh, you were there. You were there and Oh, but, I know. but he's
0: like in his true elemental form in that, not...
1: He's unleashed.
0: But he's not in cat form chilling on a shoulder like he is with Sabriel's
1: father. Uh, I gotta go back again because I, I feel like in one description he was described as on that Abhorsen's shoulder and then he became white but he was definitely described as uncollared. Hmm.
0: Yeah. I don't remember that scene super well either. That was in the part that I only listened to. And this was like late at night when we're driving through middle of nowhere, Wyoming back to Fort Collins. So I was like, not fully engaged. Um, more, more like focusing on the road and making sure I don't fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, uh, I did like that. Mogget came full circle. I thought that was really efficient storytelling. Uh, Mogget being uncollared was a little bit of a gun on the mantle, and he.
1: It always is. Yeah,
0: and and he did a good job of making that fit, pulling that gun down and and making it fit in the, in the bombast of the final scene. Um. I'm super curious about the idea of Caragor being a cat now as well to see if there's the a similar personality change with him while he's collared the way there is with Mogget.
1: I mean, they did just curl up, yawn, go to sleep.
0: Right, but I, I felt that was more like a magical effect. Because Rana. Yeah. Mm. But... Yeah, I'm. i I hope we see a lot more of them. I know the next book isn't Sabriel's point of view anymore, um, and and I remember now why. Like, I was so annoyed because there's no <laughs> denouement in this book. There's no.
1: You wanted that, right? Yeah, way. like like
0: you you want the satisfaction of seeing and knowing that Sabriel and Touchstone are okay. And you don't get that, and then I start the next book excited for that, and oh, it's not them. <laughs> so I now that I have the expectation, though, I it's easier. Yeah, it, I, I think I'm better prepared to read Lyrial. Um I don't know who the point of view character is for Abhorson. I don't really want to know. I'm I'm kind of excited now to find out whether it goes back to Sabriel or not. I would think so based on the title, but um. But that's for uh, a little bit further down the line when we get through Lyrial.
1: Yeah, I yeah. Uh, you know, I understand it now that I have done a recent reread, but I didn't before understand why Lyrial was so repulsive to you. <laughs> mm-hmm. I get that, now that you say this. Yeah, it makes sense.
0: I remember Lirial, the prologue of Lirial being awesome and then being super frustrated once it got into the actual story.
1: And you were like, okay, prologue, cool, but.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah.
1: I must have spaced it out. I must not have read them back to back in the beginning because I probably would have been disappointed too. Yeah,
0: because I went straight into Lirial my first time because I, I so enjoyed Sabriel. And I was like, oh yeah, this was a great recommendation, Lauren. Awesome. Give me the second one. And then I, I got like I don't know, 30 pages in.
1: Oh. It's I mean, we'll get there.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. So I'm excited now to go on to Lyrial with a different perspective and different expectation because I've been satisfied by all aspects of this book basically um, i think this was a super competently written book uh had enjoyable fun characters had great action great atmosphere and 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 if i'm being honest you know you know a, a couple episodes ago or maybe last episode um i have to double check the schedule um i think it was last episode it will be vector prime and that's another book that I reread for the first time in a long time and oh boy did that one not hold up on reread for me. Uh, this one totally did. And that's, that makes me happy. Um, it's easy to become jaded as a reader. It's easy to become afraid as a reader when you get into your adult life and you think like, Oh, I had these favorites from my childhood. I don't want to read them again in case they suck and look sometimes that is the case sometimes you you read books that you you know you, you didn't have the critical eye you didn't have the knowledge and understanding to evaluate that way and then you learn whether it's through just actual classes whether you paid a lot of attention in your high school English classes and learned to be a more critical reader, or if you were an English major and took literature courses in college, or if you, you know, did writing workshops and learned more about the nuts and bolts of how to craft stories. Or if you just read a lot and you learn more about how stories work, the more you read. And then you revisit things and you're like, Oh wow, I can really like see through this story now. And sometimes it doesn't hold up, but, Sometimes it does. And sometimes that makes it even more satisfying.
1: So I, I have a story about this. Mm-hmm. I'm glad this held up. Um, I maybe was worried in the beginning when, when it had been the biggest gap between sure. me reading it and recommending it. Um, but so when I was 14 or 15, I was reading Twilight. and Oh, boy. <laughs> and enjoying it. And my friend um, was also a reader and she looked at what I was reading and was like, no, no, you're reading garbage. (laughs) (laughs) Look, look, if you like vampires and blah, like here, here's Here's
0: Anita Blake.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) She said, here's, here's Laurel K. Hamilton. Here's Anita Blake. Read this instead. (laughs) and i Uh, that's funny i kid you not like within a year i tried to go back when the new book came out for twilight yeah Mm. and i couldn't do the reread because i disliked it so much (laughs) yeah
0: look that that happens um but i mean for vector prime obviously you know go listen to our episode on that um but i didn't particularly enjoy reading it but i i did and i got through it um but i think of other things that we've covered on the podcast now that i wanted to revisit from my youth things like wraith squadron i I have an even greater estimation of those books now by a lot than I did when I read them first as like a nine, 10 year old. And I loved them back then. And I loved them as I reread them over and over through, through high school. And then I picked up star Wars again a a few years ago and and said, you know, I want to revisit this and see how it holds up. And Holy cow, Aaron Austin was amazing in those books and Garth Nix, here, I'm like, this is, a, I, I think I have a greater appreciation for Sabriel now than I did 10 years ago. Um, I'm more impressed by what this book is and what it does now that I'm, you know, a decade out of college and into my professional career, which revolves entirely around writing and storytelling and reading.
1: I'm I'm excited for what you'll think of some of the other books and short stories. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think it might be easier for me now to reassess one of the ones I didn't like. Yeah. For why. Because I don't Yeah. I'm not sure I could express fully why.
0: I look, I I had a similar thing with the Rune Lords. Uh We originally covered the first four books right at the very start of the podcast. And I said, you know, let's stop here because, you know, for a few reasons, um, one of them being, you know, I really didn't like the seventh book and I never even finished reading the eighth book. And then a few years later, I said to Rob, you know, it's time. Let's finish off the Rune Lords. And I was excited to revisit, uh, especially book seven, with a, a different perspective as a reader and as a, a writer and storyteller to see if maybe maybe I'm going to like this book a lot more. And I kind of had a suspicion going in that I would. And I did. I, I still don't think it's a great book, but I appreciated it in a way I certainly didn't when it came out when I was like, whatever. Eighteen or nineteen, so yeah. And this is what's fun about, you know, the, the way we do this podcast. There, are, we have such a good mix going on of books that are brand new, books that nobody's read before, books that uh, we know like the backs of our own hands, like the Wheel of Time or uh, the mainline Cosmere stuff, Stormlight, Mistborn. Um, the Acts of Cain now for me, or the Black Company, or things that I'm, you know, like I read and enjoyed, or or maybe read and didn't enjoy, and I'm like, it's time to look at this from a different angle. And I knew we were always going to end up doing Sabriel because of that. Like I, I, I knew I'd have to revisit it and eventually go on and read the whole trilogy. So. Thank you for for pushing me on that.
1: <laughs> Finally, <laughs> jeez. Yeah. I okay. So we haven't we haven't really talked about lore. I know this is soft magic.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say let's move into kind of miscellaneous points and and, and whatnot. because um, now you can you can like push me a little more on like predictions, um, and and like
1: understandings. Yeah. So, Like, then we'll see. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at, at the beginning of this section, um, after they leave Nesto, and they're, oh, no, this is, like, right when they're in Nesto, and she asks the little girl about the the charters.
0: Oh, yeah, because only a really young child who's freshly learned about them can get around the, like, restriction of talking about them, because they don't fully understand yet.
1: Yes, yeah. I will say, she says. You yeah, remind um, me of the rhyme. I'm I'm gonna read it to you, but she does say, "I know the rhyme." Shall I sing it like we do in class? And I'm like, okay, well, um, who taught you the rhyme? How did you learn the rhyme? Is it just like the older kids?
0: Written down. I don't taught
1: know. you the rhyme.
0: Is this a like? something that's been just like written down and copied over the years
1: or kids just sing it to other kids like ring around the Rosie." that could be i don't know anyways the rhyme is five great charters knit the land together linked hand in hand one in the people who wear the crown two in the folk who keep the dead down three and five became stone and mortar four sees all in frozen water
0: Right, and so, okay, so there's the royal family, the Abhorsens, the Clare, the Wall, and the Charterstones?
1: Yeah, why do the Abhorsens have two, though?
0: What do you mean they have two?
1: Two in the folk who keep the dead down.
0: That's just counting it off. One is the royal family, two is the Abhorsens, three and five are the wall and the stones, and four is the clare. I don't think it's saying there are two different charters in the Abhorsens and three different charters in...
1: No, no, you're right, you're right. But I, I do remember Sabriel here, like, later wanting to ask the question, and she... She can't.
0: I remember her like uh, as they're sailing into Bellusire, and they get out she of the deep waters, and it cuts her off. I don't remember
1: exactly yeah, well, what she was asking. Okay, so so after she learns the rhyme, she's talking to Mogget, and she says, Two in the folk who keep the dead down. So what is the? Ah, I can't talk about it either."
0: Yeah, so I think she's just quoting the rhyme there. I don't. I don't think she's trying to say. What is anything she asking?
1: About... So what is the?
0: I think she was asking or wanted to ask about the um like the just the lineage of of abhorsen's is it is it abhorsen plural or abhorsen's
1: abhorsen's because there are multiple
0: right it's just the the my gut instinct wants to say horsen abhorsen is both singular and plural
1: <laughs> you can make an argument
0: yeah I, I, I don't know enough of linguistics to say why I want to say that but that feels right to me <laughs> anyway that's off topic <laughs> yeah uh, I'm most interested now in the Claire uh, which I'm pretty sure is going to get explored more in real.
1: so we met the twins
0: yeah Rael and, Sot, yeah, Sarah, Saren, or something like that.
1: No, do we find it?
0: Um, you you can if you want. Um, Begin with an S. The two twins, and they're they're so they say that the Claire is like there's a whole family, and individual people are not always the Claire it moves around and it can be like invested in specifically invested in individual ones, or it sort of like moves by itself. Um, This like precognition ability. Uh,
1: Sorry. Say that again.
0: There's a whole family of them. Yes. And no one is always the Claire. It kind of moves around. And it can be specifically uh, invested in one or more of them for purposes. Like, they say for this, they're like, they are... they're They're currently the Claire because they needed, um, you know, the, the paper wing, the most talented paper wing flyer. And they needed two of them to bring the two paper wing flyers down. So for today, we're the Claire.
1: They, I think they mean like we speak with the voice of all, but.
0: And they talk about how, thankfully, so they don't go insane, they don't always have these these visions and, and precognitions and things, uh, but that they can, as a family unit, work together for a specific purpose. And they did that to give Sabriel the vision of Karagor's cairn. Sanar. Sonar, not Saren Sanar. Okay. Yeah. Um, by the way, just want to say, Claire, as a term, is excellent. Yeah? Like, for what it is, The these are, you know, uh, the, the two things we know about them through this book. They're somehow tied to the waters of the river. And they can, like, see different times. And having... So Claire, I hear... And I immediately think clear. Yeah. And I think of clear windows, clear mirrors, clear waters. And it all just fits together. It's a really cleverly uh, uh, put together name for them.
1: And it looks more like a name because of the Y.
0: Right. Yeah, I, I love that.
1: And the, and they feel like a clan. I don't know why yeah, the Y feels they, like a clan to me. Well,
0: they talk about it. They say there's, there's like... No a whole family of us.
1: I mean, just the spelling. Oh, oh. Invokes clan to me. I don't know. Maybe, maybe huh. that's a like Western Europe thing. Just
0: because of like C L A. The clan Y It's the Y. Oh. Hmm. I don't okay. know. Yeah. Um, what do
1: you What do you think of them?
0: I I am utterly fascinated by them. I'm more excited to get to Lyriel now because. I, again, I have a different expectation and I, if I remember right from the bit of Lyriel I read 10 years ago and I may very well be wrong, um, there's going to be a lot more about the Claire in that book. So uh, that that has me excited. And then I think about the, the wall. There's a, a bit toward the end of the book where... Um, yeah, know, when they're in Ancelstiere talking about the invasion and I can't remember who says it. It might have been the colonel, but he's like, or Touchstone maybe. The only reason Ancelstiere is the way it is is because the wall was built and if the wall comes down, it'll all be like the Old Kingdom. And I found that really interesting that like the wall itself is physically holding back magic Mm -hmm. and and the that that implies that without the wall the whole island and perhaps you know depending on on the strength of things so maybe maybe not um, but at least the whole island would be overrun with magic, and technology wouldn't work anymore.
1: So it would have been at one point. We can assume, yes,
0: yeah. and and that and and so what was it that made people say, "Let's build this wall"?
1: And I kind of get the impression that when they say like several of these went into bloodlines and several of these went into the wall and the stones that people sacrifice themselves oh that's the impression i always yeah,
0: got i mean i could see that there's blood for the building and blood for the breaking
1: oh where is that i don't remember that
0: well so there's a there are a couple Where's of points that where that line that i just said isn't a line from the book um half of it is Underneath. Oh, Caragor says blood for the breaking. Yeah, Caragor says blood for the bl- breaking twice. But I just put that together of like if there's blood for the breaking, might there not also be blood for the building?
1: Okay, so what does that what does that mean moving forward then? I
0: I don't know. Um I, the the easy thing is to say, well, the threat of the dead, the threat of free magic was so great that some people said, we want to cut ourselves off entirely from magic. And others said, well, we're willing to risk it. Let's split the difference. Hmm. And then, and then there's. Oh. Severian agrees. Uh, and then maybe there are people who care enough to make that division that they're willing to sacrifice themselves for future generations to build the charters. I don't know. I I don't think I quite know enough about the world yet to have a more informed prediction than that, because the nature of this book is that she's the least knowledgeable lab person ever. She just doesn't know how the world works.
1: As far as I know, yes, she is.
0: Um, And and from that perspective as well, maybe it's a good thing that we're changing to the perspective of somebody who was born and raised in the old kingdom, where we can get this casual information given to us, casual world building, especially now that Sabriel knows about the charters and is even more restricted in what she can and can't kind of engage with knowledge-wise. Um. yeah
1: but maybe there are resources available to her to
0: sure I, I'm sure there's a library in Abhorsen's house <laughs> or something like that um, yeah
1: Okay. Well speaking not...
0: of books uh, just one one detail I really liked was how the book of the dead bleeds when it's <laughs> near <laughs> near large amounts of death mm-hmm. I thought that was another nice creepy little touch
1: it is yeah. living in a way.
0: Oh yeah, I definitely get that sense. Okay, good. Um, long, long-standing trope of sort of animate tomes in fantasy.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's important. Uh, I, I want to point out, by the way. So, so we talked about the Charter Rhyme, um, but it's brought up again in the final battle where Caragor says, no sword can harm me, mm-hmm. not even one made by the Wallmakers, especially not now, when I finally assumed the last of their powers, power that ruled before the Charter, power that made the Wall. I have it now. I have that broken puppet, my half-brother, and I have you, my Abhorsen. Power and blood. Blood for the breaking.
0: Right. Yeah, so the impression there is, and it would make sense, given what we know of the mechanics of all this, that it all used to be the kingdom. And then the wall was built... And then you got the Old Kingdom and Celestiaire. And <laughs> the cat is playing with a bottle cap. Um, and so the original power would come through the royal line. And Touchstone being the last living descendant, he's like, that's why I have I have the power now. He's saying, I have my half-brother in, in my grasp. I think he was being a little... Mm, <laughs> uh preemptive with that statement but
1: well yeah. here here's here's one part that I want you to key on in on though okay. is power that ruled before the charter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So I'm saying if the charter was established like after the wall
1: the wall is part of the charter
0: or or if it's part of the charter y- either way. It was all one kingdom, so the royal line has been going back well before the wall was made. So, now and now you have the old kingdom and the new nation of Ancelstierre.
1: Okay, so but you the royal see, line's
0: been going the whole time.
1: You see the royal line as like the power that ruled before the charter, and like.
0: Yeah, yeah, yep.
1: Um, Interesting that he thinks he's beyond all of this now.
0: Yeah, like I said, I think a little bit of this is uh, preemptive crowing in victory. A little bit of exaggeration.
1: why would he uh, think, think
0: that? Well, he just sees himself as like unopposed now. He's like, I've got I've gotten past the wall. The stones are breaking. The last of the royal bloodline is in my grasp. The last Abhorsen is in my grasp. I am the master of all now. I
1: don't
0: know. And this is after he had just eaten Mogget. So he, he thinks he's just like, there's nothing that can touch me. So. Um,
1: what do you think would have yeah. happened... Without um, the collar.
0: With Mogget and Caragor. Yeah. Uh, I I do think Mogget would have eventually broken out. We had enough hints in there of you know like the the blue white growing in in the back of his eyes that he he didn't just easily and completely subsume, uh, Mogget. I don't know if Mogget would have like destroyed him from the inside out or if it would have been a just kind of like a bursting out and then Karagor reforms again and we got two entities. I I don't don't know. I don't know enough to. (laughs) To say. I feel like my. My gut tells me. It would have been the latter of those options where you just end up with kind of a stalemate. Hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think I always wanted the good ending, and the good ending would have been.
0: Moggit destroys Caragor.
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah. And seeing that glimmer in his eye, I was like, Yeah, Moggit eat him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It- he did a good job, Nick's, uh, of giving fun little hints and teasers for future books.
1: Yeah. Um, in
0: in these last hundred or so pages.
1: So too, the bells broke. What do you think of that?
0: I assumed she would just remake them, like that. That was, yeah. I was like, oh, the next time we see her, she'll have been the Abhorsen for years and years and will have painstakingly recrafted, uh, what was it, Kibeth and Sarneth?
1: I'd have to look back. Uh, definitely Kibeth. Uh, Sarneth sounds right.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty, Yeah, it was, because Sarneth was originally the bell on the collar, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And she had to use Rana instead.
1: Yeah, yeah. the sleeper.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just assumed it was like, oh, well, she's Why? the abhorse and she just. Well, she talks about um, just before that, that she can't use a star ale because it's it's like caked in, in dirt and dust and gravel. And, and it's like, and she thinks, oh, I'll have to clean and fix it. And it'll take a lot of time and effort and magic. And so I just extrapolated that. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, she can make new ones. It'll just take a lot of time and effort and magic.
1: Interesting. Good to think about in future books.
0: Yeah. Okay. Mm. Oh, we're going to talk about that beer in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I don't have a whole lot more to say on, on this book. Um. yeah yeah I enjoyed it I'm really glad we picked this back up and I'm looking forward to more we got kind of a a, a scattered schedule so it's not going to be like a straight through boom 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 with these books um, but but there will be a regular rhythm to it over the next couple of months and that's exciting to me
1: i'm having Mm. fun i i love rereading this (laughs)
0: uh okay well i think in that case we are at the end of our discussion on the book itself so let's do our typical thing and do three favorite scenes uh do you want to go first third favorite uh, or do you have any honorable mentions you want to talk about before official three because I do have one honorable mention
1: can you go first
0: so my honorable mention was that scene where they get back to Waverly College and everybody is seeing Sabriel in a new light uh it, it was just a lot of fun lots of satisfying emotions
1: I was hoping you'd have one of mine so that I could <laughs> <laughs> cut one out, but no.
0: Well.
1: Okay, so I'm going to combine two of them. Okay. Even though there's, like, some time in between. Um, so when Sabriel's getting, getting close to Ab-horse and House, <laughs> and she knew something was tracking her but for the first time she actually sees it and she knows it that it's a mortican. and mm-hmm. she she describes it for us her knowledge of it even though this is her first time seeing one sure of like how it's animated and strong and full of free magic and like frothing and
0: Was it the first time? Didn't she say she'd banished one before, but it was like a really weak one or something like that?
1: Oh, you might be right.
0: I don't know why that just like popped into my head. But anyway, go on.
1: But it's, it's pretty terrifying. Yes. She can't get the door to open. She doesn't, she has no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's this thing like leaping, bounding, (laughs) gaining on her and it's full of fire and... Death and she knows that she's not at a level to deal with it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to combine that. That was scary. And then the sendings have to deal with it. She can't yes. even.
0: Yeah, they're like the guard Sendings. She barely
1: makes it, and I've, I'm pretty sure it destroyed Ascending, or at the very least, like, oh, yeah. scattered it.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I'm not sure if you can destroy Ascending that way. Oh. Um, okay. But. <laughs>
0: I know nothing about sendings, so.
1: But then she has the continued fight of she she gets to safety, but they are building a bridge Mm -hmm. with grave dirt. Yep. They're very creative here. And she knows the Mordekins right there. And now she starts to see something worse coming. And she has no idea what to do. Yeah, she's completely overwhelmed, and just like sending the river. Mm.
0: Nice. Yeah.
1: Again, like we talked about, how that's like Lord of the Rings.
0: Yeah, yeah. The uh, the similarities to Rivendell. Uh, well, my third favorite is Abhorson's house. So, uh, not not specifically those aspects of it, though, but more the. The sense of calm, the sense of peace and safety, and the hilarity of her <laughs> her brief time having a domestic experience in, in the house with the sendings and nugget.
1: Oh man, I I'd forgotten like how rough they were with her, like scrubbing her raw.
0: Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> manhandling her to get clothes on she's like i can do it myself and they're just like <laughs> and, and i
1: think i think i can say this because i think they mention it or Moggett mentions it that the sendings are created by past yes abhorses yes <laughs> so right. who who in the world wanted to be scrubbed raw or I mean, was it, vindictive it been, enough to it, set that yeah, on somebody else a prank. yeah you think it was a prank? Yeah,
0: I could see that happening. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so, number two for you.
1: Uh, yes. Okay. When she and her father discuss their battle plan and break into life. Okay. Mm. Nice. And, like, you get the image of the ice shattering off of them. Yeah. And they're both... Already moving.
0: Mm-hmm. He's charging forward with the sword and the bell, and she's and grabbing a Touchstone and going the other way. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Well, my second favorite was Mogget Unleashed in the Sinkhole.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh,
0: love, love the uh, the contrast going on. there. you know the. The fraught situation, and then as soon as she gets the collar back on him, his reversion to being an affronted cat.
1: And he's remorseful. <laughs> yeah.
0: In typical cat fashion. <laughs> so.
1: Oh, I, I love that.
0: Yeah. Uh, so number one for you.
1: Okay. So I, I just read that part where Caragor gets cocky right
0: uh-huh in in the great hall of Waverley college right yeah
1: and he's like what can come against me now yeah and she goes for the bells and he grabs her and she can't ring them. Mm-hmm. but oh, her classmate oh, dying yes. touches her ankle and sends like yeah. what little charter strength she has left and she rings the bells
0: that was an awesome moment that's a great choice
1: that's nice. great i yeah like breathing her oh, dying breath
0: yeah and just like brushes her ankle <laughs> that was that was really good really touching oh. um my, mine is not so hopeful my favorite was just the the sheer atmosphere of the reservoir
1: Ooh, with the like broken
0: that charter stones and the dead gathering and
1: enchanting
0: and the desperation of their stand it it, it was that's the kind of thing that i'm like i could see that scene done really well on screen
1: yes hauntingly well yeah but are you gonna cheat and add in like the other reservoir scene
0: (laughs) what other the
1: original breaking
0: I mean you you could do like flashback flash moments for touchstone as he's like thinking about what happened back then and comparing. Yeah. 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 So like I, I think it was a powerfully visual scene. Uh, Nick's nailed the mood, nailed the, the fear and tension and, and ultimately panic and horror.
1: And, and now we can understand with that context why they are so sick when they enter the reservoir? Why he would have at the the initial breaking mm-hmm. gone crazy?
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: sure. Like these are long broken stones that make you sick, but the initial breaking could I could see how that could break your mind.
0: Right, um, and and it is the the sort of thing um, that I think is done well in some series. Uh, Lord of the Rings, Wheel of Time, things that deal with the remnants of times of glory long past. Where you think of, like, wow, what must this have been like? Like, think of the ways in the Wheel of Time.
1: Yeah, what must this have been like? Yeah. These beautiful, like, sun, sunny...
0: Yeah, and so past- with the reservoir, it's like when, when things were great, when the kingdom was healthy and, you know... Was it this kind of quiet, secluded paradise with shafts of sunlight spearing down into the water and shining on the island and stones in the middle? Like, I I see it as this idyllic place.
1: I thought of another point that I forgot to bring up. Oh,
0: okay, real quick.
1: Okay. Isn't it interesting that Mogget, when he's talking about the events 200 years ago mm-hmm. says that he had trouble getting that Abhorson to deal yes. with the situation.
0: That that was a good point. Yeah. He, so, he like didn't want to believe that it was really that pressing. And by the time he was convinced it was too late.
1: But more importantly, yeah. Moggett cared oh, to yeah, deal with. That's a good point. He was mm-hmm. not looking for chaos in this mm. realm, he wanted this dealt with. Why?
0: Mm, okay, yeah, that's that's some good food for thought.
1: And and now two times now we've seen him unleashed against Caragor, where he had a choice. Yeah, that's true. And he chose.
0: Yeah, to focus on Caragor. Yeah. Why? Ah, mm. mm-hmm. Well, on that note, let's talk some beer. Yeah.
1: Let's have a little
0: final draft. <laughs> um. Let's talk about this one first. Why? Uh, because it is overpowering my sensibilities.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah.
0: It's so. This is a beer from Copper Kettle Brewing Company in Denver, Colorado. Uh, Copper Kettle's great. I've generally loved all their stuff that I've tried. Uh, they have an awesome barley wine. They have a really great line of barrel-aged stouts. In fact. Um, uh, have you had one on? I think I had one on for episode three or four. Would have been four. The first Rune Lords book. Uh Snowed In is their, oh, yeah. their barrel age stack. Yeah, yeah. Um You
1: definitely had that.
0: Yeah. Uh great stuff. This one I'm not as huge a fan of. <laughs> um
1: Okay, so it's double labeled. Did you notice that?
0: I did not notice that.
1: There's a printed can and then there's a label oh. over the printed can. Oh,
0: you're totally right. Oh, that's that's kind of fun. Um, so this is a okay, yeah, you you, you can talk through
1: this. <laughs> okay, so normally we drink tall boys that are like sixteen ounces.
0: Yeah, like a, a pint. A pint can. Yeah. This is a stove pipe. Which is what, nineteen point six or something? Two. Nineteen point two.
1: Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of big. We had to split it, mm-hmm. um, especially because it's nine point two percent.
0: Which honestly, um,
1: you thought it'd be higher,
0: just from the label. I thought it would be higher because this is a barrel aged beer. Um, although tasting it, nine point two is like, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, it's pretty pretty mild. On in fact, I get basically no barrel.
1: Oh, I, I do. I really? mean, rum rum is more can be more subtle, unless it's overpowering. Yeah, I, I'm used to <laughs> rum
0: just like taking over, but there is another thing taking over this beer. So
1: yeah, so this is a rum barrel aged imperial pumpkin porter,
0: pumpkin spice. This is a very spiced beer.
1: It it does have spice. It just calls itself <laughs> just a imperial pumpkin porter. Um, I I will say that I learned since. Joining the industry that most of the time when you do a pumpkin beer, you don't actually put pumpkin in it.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: You put squash in it.
0: Yeah. That's that's actually really common in general with like pumpkin pie is almost never made with pumpkin. It's made with squash.
1: I didn't know that actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's more the flavor that people expect. Yeah. Which surprised me. Yeah. Um, so this one is aptly named. Spooky hollow. <laughs> and when we were in the liquor store, I, I definitely was thinking of the reservoir. Yeah. When I looked at this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the beer? Do you like it?
1: It's fine, yeah. Like heavily spiced, but yeah. I, I like the spice. Um, I, it, it's not...
0: I don't dislike the beer, but like the first sniff I had of it, I was like, like I recoiled from the the spice.
1: That's what you're. It you was were recoiling? so
0: powerful. It
1: is really yeah at the forefront.
0: Um, I think they could have toned down the uh, the spice a little bit for the the pumpkin beer. I wish there was a little more barrel. Like you said, rum rum barrel, unless it's like too too young.
1: Which we experienced. Super hot.
0: Yeah, we, we've had a few beers like that. Um, I, I like how it gives this kind of... And I'm going to go into a thing that, that we've talked about recently um, that might be a form of synesthesia.
1: Oh, That I yeah.
0: taste in shapes.
1: Okay, now I have somebody to ask about this. I'm going yeah.
0: to. Um, I always thought of synesthesia as specifically being like you hear in colors. Um, but apparently it can apply to different sensory things in multiple different ways. Wild. But I, I've always thought of like rum as a flavor and especially the, the flavor like rum barrels in part on dark beers as being like a like a razor's edge. The kind of thing that's so sharp, it doesn't feel sharp when it cuts you. Hmm. And and so it has that kind of subtlety to it. But then once you realize it's happened, once you realize what you're tasting, you're like, oh, I really get that.
1: I see what you're saying.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't get any of that with this. <laughs> it is, for me, totally over it's overrun a, by this spice.
1: It's a background rum. Like I, I know it's there because you told me it's there. It's hard to pull out unless you're concentrating. Mm.
0: Yeah. But so now
1: now I really found it. Mm. I
0: I will say drinking this beer makes me want to go um, buy a couple cans of mocha snowden somewhere. Like oh. like get my hands on a, a few more of those. Cause great winter beer. Freaking love it. Yeah.
1: This is this is hot. I can feel it the heat on my tongue and down my throat. Really? Yeah.
0: Oh wow, I don't get that at all. This is fascinating. This is why like flavor is such an interesting thing. Um people experience and sense things totally differently.
1: I think I think I get get that heat at eight percent or above. Oh. Hmm. I need to test more of this.
0: Oh, that's interesting. But
1: what about, what about your other your beer?
0: Yeah, so my other beer is from a regular uh, contributor to the podcast. I should be, like, getting a sponsorship from these guys at this point. Uh, this is from Anchorage Brewing Company, uh, which I'm sure our listeners are very familiar with at have this you, point.
1: Have you posted, like, pictures of the artwork?
0: Uh, ooh, I don't know if I've ever posted any... I'll, I'll have to do this. Uh,
1: because this yeah. is... I love the artwork on these cans and I could pull it out if you didn't show me anything else.
0: Oh yeah. The, the artist. So this is a, like a thing. Um, Anchorage has the same artist do their labels. Uh, the artist's name is massive face. Um, really striking.
1: Fantastic. Uh,
0: honestly, like it feels grimdarky the art style. It's it's always a lot of like reds and dark blues and blacks and uh very often violent imagery like this one. Um it's a a man, it's largely like grey and blue and purple, a man in in like a tattered coat and a uh like modern war helmet and a gas mask with red lenses on the, on the mask climbing down a ladder and in the background are like ruins and swords planted in the ground. Um, very, very intense artwork. Uh, but this is an India pale ale and this is because it's Anchorage. It's ridiculous. And I don't even know what this first thing is. It is an India pale ale fermented with thylo boosting yeast. Yeah. Lauren. Explain, please.
1: <laughs> okay, th- thials have become a thing recently. Um, to add to hop flavor, a lot of a lot of it is like grape must that you're generally talking about. But there, you can have. So, others. what's
0: what's the difference between that and phantasm powder? Because isn't that grape must?
1: Yes, I believe because
0: this beer also has phantasm
1: powder. <laughs> so, so here's the thing about the yeast that they're talking about. Okay. They have been genetically modifying yeast to express certain characteristics. Okay,
0: so they're using yeast to boost the phantasm powder. Exactly. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's dry, double dry hopped with phantasm powder, nectaron, and motuka or motueka um, hops. So, uh, like, New Zealand really, like, fruity... Mm. not necessarily like when you think of citrus fruity like a new england but i think of uh, new zealand hops being more like tropical um like i i think of a lot more like passion fruit flavor mango from those
1: i'm not sure i have a word for what i
0: what you get out of it um yeah anyway so this is like a crazy beer um and and we did uh, just kind of talk the other day about how double dry hopping reduces the bitterness of hops and helps express the fruitier flavors. Is that right?
1: Yes, it is <laughs> complicated. However, if you if you put hops in your boil, then you would have isomerized alpha acids in your beer okay if you then dry hop then you will reduce those isomerized alpha acids
0: and those alpha acids are what express like the piney bitter flavors a lot of people associate with
1: Uh, piney you could tie to certain hops Mm -hmm. but bitterness Yes. Okay. And you add other hop characteristics when you dry hop.
0: Okay, cool. So, yeah, anyway, this beer is called Descend. So, just like Lauren's, very much tied to the reservoir under the palace where the great great stones are. And in that entire sequence, not only do they descend to the reservoir, but Sabriel must descend into death. To find Ooh, and rescue like her that. father, I so like there's that. a lot of a lot of that going on.
1: Now we um, now we need some river ones for.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, but I think that's the end of the final draft, and and for, what has for, become um, beer education hour with Lauren McCaffrey. Yeah, which is a lot of fun
1: for um, getting sidetracked a little bit.
0: Turns out nerds get nerdy about things. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, uh, anyway, this has been episode, oh wait, 211, I think. 212. Uh, this will be episode 212 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. As always, uh, if you want to support the show, you can find us on patreon at patreon.com/ inkingoutloud. So please consider you know becoming a patron and helping us keep this thing running. As always, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is Lauren McCaffrey. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.